Amen. Thank you, Carol and Corrine. I appreciate that much. You grab your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 5, as we continue a study. We started a few weeks back. It's simply entitled this, Dangerous and Desperate Days for the Church, Discernment Needed. And uh, we'll get a little bit more into this passage today, and it's been a great study thus far. We're really laying the groundwork and laying foundationally the need uh, for discernment among believers, among the church, especially in a day and time in which everything is questioned and everything is uh, demanding you stand for something, demanding that you address issues and things in life. And so we've been looking at this to build the biblical case for discernment. If you'll look with me in Hebrews chapter number 5, we'll look in verse 11, we'll read down through verse 14 as we've done uh, in the last couple weeks just to familiarize ourselves with this passage. Look at verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Now we'll spend a a few moments looking at that here uh, in just a second. But let's continue. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Now that's interesting because God would have every believer be a teacher at some point and disciple, someone training somebody else. And so he's writing to the church and believers and saying, listen, we've gotten to the point where you ought to be teaching others what the Bible says, and yet now you're still having to be reminded what the Bible says. Because you lack discernment. That's what he goes on to explain. Notice it. He says this. And are become uh, such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Verse 13. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Interesting uh, picture there. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, maturity. Even those who by reason of use... Note this, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If I were to say, what is God's goal for you today in the days ahead in your life as a believer, it's this, to be able to discern good and evil. To do it consistently, to do it across the board, every issue, everything that comes up in life, that comes up in our nation, that comes up in our community, to be able to discern good and evil. But there's a major hindrance in the Christian realm, if we might put it this way. Because we regularly don't employ discernment. Why is that? What's one of the reasons? Well, he says it here in verse 11, ye are dull of hearing. May I just tell you today, there are many believers, at least professing Christians, who are dull of hearing. We'll talk a little bit what that is in just a moment, but how and why are they dull of hearing? Well, in the book of Hebrews, Paul has already discussed some things that uh, have led to them being dull of hearing. The, number one, he, he's talked about them drifting from the Word of God being the absolute authority and only truth. Boy, when you get off the foundation, the rock of God's Word is the only absolute truth, we're in trouble. <laughs> the storms of life are going to throw you back and forth, toss you to and fro. And so they've drifted from that, and then that drifting has caused them to doubt the accuracy, the supremacy, and the relevancy of God's Word. And my friend, when you come to doubt God's Word and it's accurate, that it's inerrant, when you come to doubt that it is supreme above all other sources, when you come to doubt that it is relevant for today, my friend, you stop using it. 
You, you stop saying, God, I want to go to God's word and consider it and, and, and reference it. How has this happened? Why has this happened in the church? Well, the last few weeks, that's what we've been looking at. We've kind of said, okay, how in believers' lives and in the church, the local church, how has this happened? And oh, I'm just going to do a quick review for many who have just joined us, but it's good for all of us. First of all, we've seen this, uh, the infiltration of secular irrationality, the lack of the ability to think critically through that, through that door that's been open, absolute truth is under attack within and without the church today. And the fact is that without absolute authority, there's no basis upon which to make a judgment or decision. That is, as this verse, this passage says, to employ discernment. We ask, what is discernment? Well, we gave several definitions. We'll settle with this one from J.E. Adams. The ability to distinguish God's thoughts and God's ways from all others. Here's the, the importance of this. Why is this so crucial? Why are we getting back to teaching biblical discernment in the local church? Here's why. If you and I are followers of Jesus Christ, if we're disciples, if we are servants of him as our master and our Lord, we better know what the master and the Lord says. We better know his heart and his will and his desire, his thoughts on every t- topic, on every issue, on everything we face in life. We better know what the master does and says and wants what pleases him. And discernment is the means by which we do that. Every issue that pops up in the headlines, every situation that comes up in work and someone asks me, what do you think about? What's your opinion on this? What is it that you think about this? And boy, now that's when discernment can, uh, has already been employed and now we know the heart, the mind, the will, the way of our God and we can share it as one of his disciples based on the absolute truth of God's word. But this lack of discernment has, has crept into the church because in secular philosophy and also then in the church, we've, we valued experience over absolute truth. Instead of saying experience is good only when it confirms and agrees with what has already been established as an absolute truth, we have raised personal experience above absolute truth. Why has this happened in the church? Because in the last several centuries, in secular philosophy, we've seen the teaching and the embracing of the elevation of personal experiences, um, along with personal choice, over the absolute standards of truth, goodness, morality, and even common sense. And that is called existentialism. Widespread. It's been around for a couple centuries and pushed and made. What's the problem with it? Well, it changes the very character of truth, as we saw last time. It thrusts it into the realm of pure subjectivity. We'll see that a little bit more even today. Everything becomes relative and uh, subject to my experiences, and therefore it's up for debate. No longer do my experiences in life need to be ran through the test, the filter of absolute truth of God's Word. No, rather so-called truth must be validated by my experiences for me to accept it. Otherwise, my experiences trump the absolute truth. That becomes the new truth, and that replaces it. We said within Christianity, this has become known as neo-orthodoxy, a theology, a theological movement that says God's word is not inerrant, hence challenging the accuracy of God's word. It's not inspired. It's no longer supreme. Uh, It's just another medium by which God reveals himself along with those times when God speaks new revelation when people encounter Jesus Christ. They hold to the belief that the word of God, uh, that, that God's word, the Bible, is not objectively the word of God. God, but rather it becomes the Word of God when it speaks to me individually. In other words, when my experience and perception, I believe it to be God's Word, then it becomes God's Word. And we talked about how sad and dangerous that is at the same time. 
uh, and the difficulty found therein. Uh, therefore, in their minds, what the Bible means is irrelevant. What it means to me is most important, and that's dangerous ground. Why? Because here's what happens. All that is in the Christian faith, theology and God's word and doctrine and principles and commands, everything that is inherent to the Christian faith is now grouped into the realm of subject relativism. It's brought in to be subjective to my opinion, my experiences, everything that, that I have done. And so this logical conclusion of this irrational thinking uh, of neo-orthodoxy, existentialism, is that my beliefs and interpretation are not open to outside verification. Okay, so you can't hold it up against God's word. You can't hold it up against a, what, what you know as a believer. No, 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 no. It must simply be believed. And so we talked about, okay, how, how, why are we in this dilemma of dis- sermon. Why have we gotten to it in the church? Well, one of the problems is we lack essential convictions. The first one is this. Discernment depends upon holding conviction that the scriptures are the absolute truth. And we just simply asked ourselves this question, do I hold that it is the one thing by which everything, everything must be tested? The one thing, not my opinion, not my thoughts, not what, what I've always believed. And uh, No, 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 God's word, what it teaches, what it says. Is it the one thing by which everything is tested? Is it alone the determiner of right and wrong, righteousness and wickedness, as the passage puts it? Is it the determiner, the discerner between good and right? To hold, not hold this conviction makes it impossible to have true biblical discernment as God would have us to have. We identified the fact that there's a cultural clash going on. A cultural clash. The world's experience, valuing, and rational culture come head to head, butting heads with uh, God's biblically discerning, truth-based rationality. And we also said that too, many, uh, too often we as Christians think we're married to the world and we've got to come up with some kind of compromise. And my friend, we made the point we are not married to the world. We are not of this world. We may be in it, but we are not of it. Therefore, this cultural clash cannot be saved or won through compromise or concessions or trying to create a new culture that is a mixture of both. As a marriage is, and you bring two cultures, two people get married, uh, and they bring two cultures, and from that there needs to be compromise. There needs to be concessions made. There needs to be spirit-led things that take place in which they create their own culture in their home. But that is not to happen in this world. That is not for us as Christians to do with the culture of this world. The fact is this, the only way that this culture clash will be won is by Christians standing on the word of God as the absolute truth alone, exercising discernment consistently, constantly to identify good and evil, and then standing up and speaking out for truth about current issues. That's the only way. So we came to this end last time, and we understood that when God's word is not held as the absolute truth without any rivals, it is inevitable that we'll lack discernment. And as we neared the end of last week's sermon, I made the observation that this existentialism, this neo-orthodoxy within the church, they have paved the way for more error to enter the church. And part of that is this dull of hearing. It's us drifting away and becoming to doubt it. This dull of hearing, when it comes to, and literally the picture is listening to, receiving, and acting upon what God's Word says. We are dull of hearing. We are sitting like we say, like bumps on a log is common vernacular or description of it. Let me ask, ask you this. Have you ever been sluggish in the morning? How many of you are not morning people? I'm not a morning person. My wife, fantastic. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, that's most of us. Amen. Okay. I'm not a morning person. My wife is a morning person. Okay. We are like opposites in that way. I wake up in the day and it's good if I remember my name. 
I'm telling you, my wife, on the other hand, we're going to solve the day's problems. We're going to solve the world's problems. We're going to talk about everything, the plans for the world, the plans for, I mean, she, it, it, and I'm still like, where's my toothbrush? I'm just trying to find my tooth. I, I am just not that way. I'm not made that way. I'm not, and I, I'm sluggish in the morning. I, I'm trying to find things. I'm trying to figure. Uh, the other day, a couple months ago, um, I uh, had from the dentist a sample thing of uh, toothpaste. In the cabinet, I had some medicine that was in a similar tube. I caught myself putting the wrong stuff on my toothbrush you ever been there you're just out of it man you just you're just so out you're like i don't even know what i'm doing i don't even know what's going on i don't know how yet and boy you've done that i i've I've seen some of my kids before and uh, if we've gotten them up early or something i found them doing something odd or different like in the bathroom something like what are you doing and i remember one of them that will go nameless she um (laughs) said she said (laughs) I, I, I don't know, Dad. <laughs> she really did. She had any clue what she, she was doing. So I'm like, what are you doing, you know? That's sluggish, right? That's in the morning. You and I not knowing what we're doing. And, and, I, and boy, I'm the, I'm the poster child for it. That's what dull of hearing literally means. It's a slothful sluggishness where you're kind of like, uh, yeah. you're not taking it in. You're not receiving it. You're not listening. You're not, you don't know what really is going on in the world, you know? I remember in the morning sometimes the kids will come in and say something to Eric and I'm like, which kid was that? What'd they say? There have been times where Erica said, remember we talked about that this morning. I'm like, whoa, anything we talk about before 11 a.m. is questionable. But I'll remember. Okay, so hey, the, the, the point is it's sluggish. I'm not picking it up. I'm not getting it. I'm just kind of sluggish. And he's saying here, the dull of hearing, you're kind of sluggish when it comes to the Christian life. It's a dullness that is found. Now here's the problem. It's towards the word of God. He said, man, you're, you're dull of hearing. There's a lot more I want to say, verse 11. There's a lot more that I want to share about Christ. And I, there's a lot more doctrine when you need to hear. But you're sluggish. You're dull of hearing. You see, one of the first great symptoms of spiritual digression or backsliding is sluggishness. There's a dullness towards the Bible and the Scripture and what it says. I don't really look in it. I really don't study it. I don't meditate on it to see what God's will and way are. I really have an indifference to it. And then, obviously, my own Bible reading becomes dull. The Sunday school lesson becomes dull. The preaching becomes dull. Anything spiritual, the counsel, the spiritual counsel of another becomes dull. So we look in the spiritual life or an excitement outside of the word of God. And I'll tell you, my friend, if you're looking for excitement for your spiritual life outside of God and his word, you're going to find trouble. You'll find trouble. And my friend, that is what we have gotten in the Christian church. Because we have become so dull of hearing that, boy, God's word isn't our everything. And yet God would have it to be. That's where discernment is found. That's where a relationship grows, where obedience flows from because we see the heart and mind of our God and we can follow it and obey it and heed it. You see, we look outside for other experiences. And the fact is, extensionalism, neo-orthodoxy, the experiences, the physical experiences of life, they change. They don't always go the way I want them to. So we need another source of experiences that is less concrete, less controlled, less confining, less limited. It's then subject to my own feelings and thoughts. You see, once the doors have been opened to value experience over God's word, the inevitable consequence is that more error in rationale and thinking will find its way into the church and we will embrace various kinds of experiences. 
So now, not is it just, well, that's not what I've experienced. I've just, you know, my own experience, I've done this. No, no, it's not just a physical, outward life experience. Now, we've opened the door for all kinds of experiences. Enter the stage left. You know what we have? We have now in the church spiritual mysticism. Neo-orthodoxy has opened a door to spiritual mysticism. What is that? Well, simply stated, it's the belief in spiritual reality is found Not by looking in God's word, not by listening to what God has to say, but found inward. It's no longer found, truth is no longer found from understanding and basic human reasoning used in relation to God's word. Rather, it's sought through feelings, through imagination, inner voices, personal visions, private illumination and revelation, and other purely subjective means. Therefore, and don't miss it, here is a, I've rewritten it a little bit, but this is basically their statement. The true experience of God's presence, now don't miss this, and love is not something attained by utilizing human reasoning, such as observation, deduction, induction, inference, implication, or any form of intellectually based proof. Rather, it is a direct or by a direct infusion from God of himself that engages the spiritual rather than the mental central of the universe or the individual, excuse me. So you, catch what he's saying. It's not, we, we don't want to use all of our reasoning and rationale. In fact, let's cut through the flowery statements in the hug, hogwash. You know what it says? You know what a, a spiritual mysticist will say about God and, and experiencing God and finding truth and, and, and such? This is what this statement means. We must suspend reasoning and logic and disengage our minds in order to know God and the truth. Now listen to me. Nothing could be farther than the truth found in God's word. God wants you and I to be engaged in our minds to use basic reasoning logic because why? We are created in the image of God and we have reasoning skills, praise God. He wants us to use that and understand, wait a minute, I'll take God's word and I will reason. By exercise of the senses, the word senses literally means the thinking, the ability to discern, to take in, to weigh, to reason, to logic. Don't disengage your mind spiritually. When you come into church, it ought to be one of the times you use your mind more than any other time in the week. Amen. Don't disengage your mind. And yet this is exactly what they're teaching us and telling us. I find it humorous because they use special terms with special descriptions. They they say we can access God through unknowing. Isn't that funny? Unknowing. Here's how one author described what this unknowing is. This is what the Christian mystic means when he says that we reach God through unknowing. We penetrate into the divine by a divine gift, not through oriental process such as Buddhist meditation or catch this, or set techniques. No longer worship service. Let's not pray. We don't have to read God's word to enter into his word. We don't need to, we don't need to have those techniques, those things that we've always done that, that uh, organized religion says. We don't need those things. We enter into God through no human means, no methods, no ideas, what is occasionally referred to as idealist knowing. Okay, so let's put this together. This is a process of finding idealless knowing through unknowing. Anybody else confused? 
That's literally what they're teaching, though. This is what they're saying. This is, and I'll say, most Christian mystics, people who fall for it, don't know all of the background, but they practice it. They'll elevate these experiences and so forth. And so through this process, here's the point. They have a spiritual experience that culminates in a spiritual intimate union or communion with God through which I gain truth in revelation. Okay, so through this idealist knowing that is found through unknowing, I come to the point where I have an intimate communion and fellowship with God that is through special revelation, special event, uh, emotional event, you name it. And in that, I gain new truth and greater revelation that in my mind supersedes and is supreme to God's word. And my friend, that is where we have the problem in the church. Our bookstores are full of books that people would rather adhere to than the one book that matters. We have preachers and teachers all over the internet. They are propagating and pushing their beliefs, their opinions, and their thoughts more so than thus saith the Lord. We've got problems. We've got people on the internet who talks about, yeah, you need to have an experience of God. This, yeah, you need to have this spiritual event and emotional things, and they'll whip up the emotions, and they'll whip up the feelings and so forth, so that we have this semi-quasi uh, thought that we spent time in God's presence. He told me special truth for my life, and boy, this is how I'm going to operate and what I'm going to live by. You see, the problem with it, as you can imagine, what we have experienced spiritually, not physically, whether it be by a vision, God telling me something, or any other means, it is both self-authenticating, and now it is my new, greater standard of truth. See, the conclusion of mysticism is simply this. Because of the degree of intimacy one personally experiences with God through that vision, through Him appearing in my room and talking to me, you name it, outside objective revelation. You read into that what we mean, what, what they mean by that. God's word, fellow believers, the truth. Outside objective revelation is no longer essential or needed. It can be discarded as inferior to and in favor of such immediacy of communion and communication with God. My friend, believer, do you see the danger? What if this morning I stand up before you and I say, listen, I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody. I've never uttered it. I've never put it on social media. I never told anybody. When I was in high school, I was in a car wreck, and uh, I hit the front of the car so hard that my heart stopped beating. They had to restart it at some point, but in those few moments and in that time uh, that my heart was not beating, I went to heaven. And I went to heaven, and everything was beautiful, and friends and family was there, and God was there, and, and everything was just gorgeous and wonderful and beautiful. And I talked with God while I was there in heaven, and he told me, he said, everybody's going to heaven. He said, listen, even the people who've trusted in Christ, those people who do good works, there'll be some who go into eternity, and they have to pay off their sin, but they will eventually get in heaven. And as I looked around, people were living and doing things that they wanted to do on here on earth but could not. They were enjoying life, and it was such a beautiful thing, and then... All of a sudden, I was back in my body, and the, the paramedics were there, and they were bringing me back to life, and, and I came back to this earth, and, oh, you believe me, don't you? Have not, for the last 50, 60 years, such stories crept into Christendom? And how dare you? Wait, wait you, you don't believe me? How, how could you not believe me? You see, I was there. 
It was my own spiritual union with God in that moment, my own spiritual alignment, uh, enlightenment, if you will. You weren't there. You didn't feel what I felt in that moment. You didn't see what I saw. If you did, you, you'd believe it too. It was just as real as you sitting right there in front of me. And I'll tell you right now, nothing will convince me otherwise, no matter what you or anyone says. And so we've gotten to the point where extra revelation of God's word has become unquestionable. I have sat with, or sat and talked with someone. I have sat in these pews and they told me a long story how God appeared in the room in the corner and talked to them and told them things that were extra biblical. And I was the bad guy because I had to say, I'm sorry, I don't believe you based on God's word because here's what God's word says. May I tell you what God's word says about heaven? No one gets to heaven unless they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I can't work my way there. There's no purgatory. There's no place in eternity. The he that believeth not is condemned already. That is God's word. And if you have a revelation, if you see something that goes against God's word, I am sorry, I still love you, but you're wrong. It's funny how the church has gotten away from that. It's funny how we've lacked discernment and saying this is good and this is evil. This is according to God's word, so this is right. This is not. This goes contrary. And therefore, we cannot accept it. We must reject it because it is not truth. See, the problem is we've allowed in spiritual mysticism, which the only authentication offered is the spiritual experience itself. And while I believe it was true, and that illogical thinking <laughs> Because it's so personally subjective, these beliefs and these experiences, these nuggets of truth are self-authenticating. And if you challenge it, you are less spiritual. You are being mean and unkind. You are a hater. You are a doubter. You're just unkind. In fact, I know of those proponents of this who call any of us that would say, you know what, let's hold that against God's word. Let's, let's hold it to the test of Scripture. Let's see if that is, is in, uh, concurrent, if that agrees with what God says. And just by asking that, you know what they I say? <sighs> You're of the devil. That's literally what they've said. They describe anybody that says, wait a second, I think we have something that everything should be tested through. I think we have something that we should run it through to make sure that that is correct and right and true. You see, my friend, uh, this mysticism discards the principle that we must all live by. All experiences must be interpreted through the filter of the one and only true standard of truth. That is God's word, his counsel given to us in written form. And that is where we add another lack of conviction that has caused this dilemma of discernment. See, not only must we have that conviction that it's the absolute truth that God's word is. Secondly, we suffer and we have become dull of hearing because we have not held to the conviction that all my experiences, whether physical or spiritual, and all my beliefs must stand the test of God's word and truth. We have left off in our own lives, in our own churches of holding it up to God's word. It's amazing to me how many Christians I meet who believe something that goes contrary to the word of God. And their basis is this. Well, I've had this experience and I've just come to believe. And I, I had this emotional time and this feeling where I've just come to this realization. My friend, when you do that, you're going to have a messed up worldview. Can I give you an illustration? 
All of us are susceptible to it if we lose discernment. If we lose the foundation of God's word as the lens by which we look at everything, the issues of life and the world around us and what's happening on the landscape of humanity, when we lose the lens of God's word and we lay it aside and we discard and we say that's no longer the filter of the test, boy, things can go awry. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73. I love this psalm. It has become one of my favorite over the years as I study David's heart because it is a perfect study of humanity. It is a sociological study in the psyche of man. Notice it, Psalm chapter 73. He gives us a great contrast and conflict between the thinking and experiences of this world and thinking based on the counsel of God, the word of God. Look in verse 1. He says this, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. So that's kind of the introduction. He's going to share something, how God has shown himself good, how God has helped to clean his heart, his thinking, we might say in verse number 1. Here's how he starts. Notice verse number 2. This is what he describes. But as for me, now he's speaking very much from the flesh, from a worldly perspective. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Why is that, David? For, or Asaph, excuse me, for I saw, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride me, compasseth me about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart uh, could wish. Now isn't that amazing? Do you see what's happening here? He's looking around at the world. And he's like, well, man, my experiences tell me this. My own thinking and looking at the world. It's like, man, the wicked, the transgressor, they're getting away with it, man. That is life. I need to live like that. Apparently, it's not that bad to live like these people are living. The wicked. That's literally how Asaph is looking. He's saying, listen, I'm lacking discernment of God's word. Can I tell you to listen to me? Do not miss this. You ought to always look at the world through the lens of God's word. Don't look at it through your own opinion, your own thoughts, your own experience. No, no, no. Look at it through the lens of God's word. As a child of God, why? So you may be able to exercise your senses to discern both good and evil. That is what we see here. He continues. Verse number eight. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and that can be said against God. Their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, as people return hither, the waters are a full cup, are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. This Christian thing, this is, a, uh, this is not worth it. This following God, saying I'm a follower. Uh, hey, look, at this isn't worth it. This isn't, what's it doing? What's it providing? What's, how's it prospering me? He goes on. I wash my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Boy, woe is me. You ever get up and look at the world and say, woe is me? Hey, grab the lens of God's word. Notice what he says. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, here it is, it was too painful for me. He has just provided us an expression of thinking based upon worldly experiences. He's gone out, he's watched, he's looked, he sees what's going on, and he understands what is transpiring. Oh, man. But something changes in verse 16. Notice it, look at it. Excuse me, verse 17. Until... I went into the sanctuary, the presence of God, the house of God. Then 
understood. Oh, understanding has come now. I've gained knowledge. I've gained insight. Understanding, I, uh, understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment they, have, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my, my reins. Hmm. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me with by thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. Your word. And afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Hmm. You see a change? You see a change in thinking and perspective? You see the discernment of, wait a second, the wicked are coming to their end. Those who trust in God will not perish. They're going to perish. Ah, I see it now. I understand it. I've come into the very presence of God. I've gained knowledge and understanding. I have listened to his counsel. And now... My friend, this wasn't a special revelation. It's found throughout all the scriptures. It wasn't a special vision. He went into that uh, presence of God. He employed the counsel of God as his source, his standard for discernment. You see, you can also be assured, certainly Asaph prayed. These are all those techniques that the Christian mystic wants us to discard. As time has eluded us this morning, can I ask you a simple question this morning? Do you have this conviction? Do you have this conviction that God's word alone is the test for all my experiences and all my beliefs on any matter or issue? I'll leave you with this. We'll pick up in a couple of weeks. But until the church and every believer adheres to the conviction to test everything by the rule of scriptures and to subsequently reject that which is false and hold to that which is true, the church will be weak. It will be struggling. We will be ineffective in our witness in a world, now listen, that knows little difference between good and evil. Say, Pastor Henry, why is it so crucial for us? Why is it crucial for us to enter the sanctuary of God, his presence? Why is it so crucial for us to hear and understand the counsel of God? Why is it so crucial for us to say this is the absolute truth? And not only is it the absolute truth, but I have to exercise it as the test, the standard by which everything else is judged. Why is that so important? Because, friend, there's a world all around us that does not know the difference between good and evil, and they're going to hell. And if you and I are going to please our Savior who is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, my friend, we need biblical discernment in every issue, every situation, every area of life. Is that your conviction that this is the ultimate test? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we're grateful for the challenge it has been this morning to my own heart, to these of my brothers and sisters. And 
Father, I pray that you will have forgiven us as the church, your bride, as Christ's bride, for those times we have lacked discernment. Father, we have lacked the convictions that bring about discernment. Lord, I pray you'd move in this invitation to follow. I, Lord, if when we have weakened in our convictions, when we have allowed other things to uproot those convictions, when, Father, maybe we have the convictions, but we fail to apply them and live by those convictions, Lord, forgive us. I pray you'd smite our hearts about that. May your church be strong. Lord, may we speak the truth. Yes, in love, but may we speak the truth. Father, may each one here have their senses exercised so they may discern daily between good and evil. In our lives, in our thoughts, in our words, may we have the discernment, the biblical discernment you desire each of us to have. And may we understand we will only have it when we hold the conviction that your word is absolute truth, when we hold the conviction that it alone is the test of what is good and what is evil. Father, I pray that you would do what only you can, grow us, challenge us, convict us for where we have failed to be the Christians you would have us to be. And Lord, strengthen your church. Power us. Guide us and direct us into being all that we should be for you.